Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. The passage that we read just now concludes with the story of the rich man and Lazarus. It's a powerful story, a powerful passage describing eternity and hell and the torments of eternal separation from God in the fires of hell. It's a, it's a story that if you've grown up in church or you've, you've been in class and, and you know the Bible, you would know this story about the rich man and Lazarus. And we're going to get into that story in just a few moments. But I wanted to start a little bit before the, parab- or the story begins because we need to see where this all came from. What prompted Jesus to tell the Pharisees about the rich man and the beggar? And it starts in verse number 13. He says, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. He said, You cannot serve both God and money. You have to pick one. That's what he's saying. Verse number 14, the Pharisees respond. It's interesting. Jesus isn't even talking to the Pharisees. If you read, you'll see that he's talking to his disciples. And the Pharisees overhear this and they begin to mock Jesus. The Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things and they derided him. Verse number 15, he, Jesus, is responding to the Pharisees. So the rest of the chapter is Jesus responding to the Pharisees mocking the teaching of Jesus because they were covetous, okay? So that's the response. So these Pharisees are covetous, and Jesus is going to teach regarding covetousness or greed or serving money. And that's when we get into, in verse number 19, he says, there was a certain rich man. And in verse number 20, he says, there was a certain beggar. What is this passage about? What is this story of the rich man and Lazarus about? It's about who is really wealthy and who is really poor. The financial reality was different from what the Pharisees assumed. Because being rich does not mean the same thing to everyone. So when we talk about riches and wealth and and money and how to handle it, We've got to begin with the same point. What do we mean? Who are these rich people and who are these poor people? So I want to ask you this morning, how do you define being rich or becoming rich? In your mind, if you were to think, well, if I were to become a rich person, what would that mean to you? To become wealthy, what would that mean? Well, I want to think about that question as we see Jesus' teaching, and I see three lessons regarding wealth, the first of which is the definition of true wealth. The definition of true wealth. I want us to take a look at a couple of verses in the book of Revelation. You don't have to turn there. The verses will be there on the screen. Revelation chapter 2, verse number 9 says this, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. And in parenthesis, God says, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Okay? Next verse, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. says this, Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with good, and have need of nothing, 
and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So these two verses are very interesting because Revelation chapter 2 and chapter number 3 from the verses which we read are messages that are written to seven different churches. These two specifically are written to the churches at Smyrna and Laodicea. And what's interesting is what God says about these two churches. One church is full of people who have no money, but God says they are rich. And there's another church that has lots of people with lots of money, and God says they are poor. Now, how could that possibly be? Well, the reason is that these people were defining rich and wealth in different ways. Most people talk about wealth in terms of dollars, but you'll notice that God does not define wealth according to dollars. So if we're going to talk about wealth, we need to talk about the same starting point, the same definition. You'll notice that there's a difference between being uh, uh, earthly wealthy, financially dollar-wise wealthy, and spiritually wealthy. Hebrews chapter 11, verse number 26 says, Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in, in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. So Moses decided that the riches of this world were not true riches worthy of sacrificing the riches of Christ. More real than the gold that he could have in Egypt were the riches that he could get from God. Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 7 says, There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. So it's important that we understand what wealth is, what true wealth is. And the Bible gives to us a definition of true wealth because a lot of people get this wrong. A lot of really smart people get this wrong. A lot of very successful people, they get it wrong. A lot of highly respected people get it wrong. So what does the Bible say about true wealth? Well, from this passage we see that true wealth is salvation from hell. Luke chapter 16, verse number 15 says, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is abomination in the sight of God. What God is saying is, if you are justified before God, you are rich. Did you know that? If you're justified before God, if you have righteousness, you are rich. Proverbs chapter 11, verse number 4 says, Riches profit not in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivereth from death. Did you know that if you have God's righteousness, you're wealthy, you're rich. Proverbs chapter 28, verse number 6, Better is the poor that walketh in his uprightness than he that is perverse in his ways, though he be rich. What God is trying to say is, you guys, you Pharisees, you're getting it wrong. You think that because you have a lot of gold, a lot of silver, a lot of coins in your wallet, that you're wealthy. And what he's trying to say is, no, 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 you're defining wealth the wrong way. Wealth is having the righteousness of God. Luke chapter 16, we're there in Luke 16, verse number 19, talks about the rich man. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. He was a wealthy man, clothed in nobility. He ate a luxurious feast every single day of his life. 
He thought he was rich. He acted rich. People thought he was rich. But in verse number 22, we find that he was poor. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The lesson of Jesus in this story is the rich man was really the poor man. And the poor man was really the rich man. How could this possibly be? Because one was still in his sins and the other was not. One went to hell and the other did not. One was in eternal torments and the other was not. See, we don't know how much the rich man had. He might have had a million dollars. He might have had a billion dollars. He might have had a trillion dollars. But it doesn't matter because he left it all behind. And when he died, he went to hell because of his sins. And we see here that Jesus is trying to teach about true wealth. Hey, if we go chasing after finances here on this earth, we might miss true wealth. And here was an individual who had it all on earth, and he died, and he went to hell. And it was there that he realized that he was poor. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the wealth of salvation from hell is sitting right in front of you. The gospel is here, the word of God that says that you could be saved from your sins. You could have your sins to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on the cross. And you could be made rich if you would simply put your trust in Jesus Christ. Matthew 16, verse number 26 says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Did you know that no matter how many dollars you have in your wallet today, you might be rich if you're saved today. Are you saved today? Are you on your way to heaven? Do you have your sins to be forgiven? And you know without a shadow of a doubt that if God were to take your life today that you're on your way to heaven? Did you know that if that's you, you're rich? True wealth is salvation from hell. Not only that, true wealth is secure in heaven. Verse number 16 says, The law and the prophets were until John. Since, the time that, uh, since that time, the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. See, he's speaking to those that were Jewish, and he's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom. When they thought about the kingdom, they thought about the earthly kingdom. They thought about, hey, God is you know, going to send his Messiah, and he's going to rule over us, and he's going to rule the world, and we will rule the world with him, and we will be in control. And when is that kingdom going to come? They thought about the earthly kingdom, but Jesus is not talking about the earthly kingdom, is he? He's talking about the heavenly kingdom. He's talking about the heaven to come. He's talking about the time to come. That's why he encourages us in Matthew chapter 6. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. See, the rich man had a lot of money, but when he died, he didn't take it with him. He left it behind. And so the only true wealth that anyone can really have is wealth that they can send ahead after they die. After they die. Something that they can use after it's over. Later this year in the summertime, we're going to have our vacation Bible school. We have VBS every year, and uh, we do it in July. We're going to do it in July this year. 
And uh, it's a lot of fun, and I appreciate, you know, Brother Mike and, and, and uh, a lot of other people preparing for it, and already we're preparing for it. It's an exciting time. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I think the kids have a lot of fun, mostly because they earn a lot of VBS dollars, right? We have this kind of fake VBS money that we give out, and we say, all right, if you come, we'll give you some VBS dollars, and at the very end, on the last day, we have a market day. We have a market day, you can take the money and you can buy stuff. You can buy candy, you can buy toys, you can buy games, you can buy whatever is there, you can buy stuff. And so we encourage them to come. If you bring a friend, you get more dollars. If you participate, you get dollars. If you sing out, you get dollars. And, and we're, they're accumulating these dollars. And we tell them, don't lose the dollars, okay? Don't leave them behind, don't forget them, don't throw them away. Make sure you hold on to them every single day that you come. And they, they save up, they save up, they save up. And it's kind of exciting on that last day to see them bring their whole stack, you know? It's kind of excited. This huge stack of money in there, you know, flipping through the dollars, you know, these VBS dollars. It's exciting. Now, when I go to the market, usually people are crowding over to the counter, you know, the tables, and they're trying to buy stuff. And every once in a while, you'll see a little kid that's kind of hanging back. And he's got this huge stack of money. And uh, at first you think, okay, maybe he's a little shy. Maybe he's trying to decide what he wants to buy. But things are getting bought up, and he's still standing back there. And, and uh, a worker inevitably goes over there, and he says, hey, you've got to get over there. You've got to buy something. <laughs> you've got to buy something because after today, your dollars are worthless. You can take them home with you. But you can't buy anything with them. <laughs> you can't buy any money. You can't buy anything and use it as money at the grocery store. You can't even come here and use it for anything. <laughs> You've got to use it on that day. When the market closes, that dollar is worthless. It's just a piece of paper. So use it while you can to buy something that you could use after the market closes. We encourage those kids. Take the dollars and spend it. Give it up to get something else that you could use for a really long time. Believers, we are encouraged and urged by God. You have dollars in your bank account. You have time and opportunity. You have all of these things in your life. Don't hoard it here on earth. Send it ahead to heaven. Because the moment you die... The market is closed. And those dollars, they are worthless. They won't do you any good. Heaven will not accept them. You cannot do anything with them. They are worthless. And God says, true wealth is that which is laid up in heaven. That which you can put ahead and enjoy for all of eternity because life here is short, but heaven is forever, and God is telling us, you know, the truly rich people are those that have laid up many treasures in heaven, regardless of how much they have here on earth. We see true wealth is secure in heaven, but we also see that true wealth is the scriptures in your hands. Luke chapter 16, verse number 17 says, It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. The world will die and be destroyed but God's word lasts forever. And God's word tells us what will come, and it tells us how to invest spiritually. See, the Bible is a spiritual investment manual. It tells us how to be rich by laying up for ourselves treasures in heaven. And if you have the Bible in your hands, you're rich. You're rich. 
Colossians chapter 3, verse number 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. See, if you have the Bible in your hands, if you are saved from hell, and you are laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, did you know that you're rich? Maybe you don't own a house. Maybe you don't have a fancy car. Maybe you don't have the latest iPhone. Maybe you're not able to go out and splurge on vacations and go eat fancy foods. But if you've got those three things, you're rich. You're rich. You're wealthy. That's what the Bible says, the definition of true wealth. But also another lesson that we see here is the distortion of temporary wealth. We talked about the wealth that we have here on earth is temporary. It won't last forever. When we die, we leave it behind. The lesson that Jesus is trying to teach the Pharisees is though they had a lot of money, they didn't realize that they were poor. Jesus is comparing the Pharisees, is comparing the Pharisees with the rich man. The Pharisees desired to be rich. They wanted to be rich. Many of them probably were rich. But what they didn't realize was that all earthly wealth is temporary wealth. When the rich man died and he went to hell, he didn't have his money with him. He didn't have his fancy clothes with him. He didn't have his nice air-conditioned home with him. He didn't have all of the pleasures of life with him. He left it all behind. And all the wealth of this world gets left behind. There's nothing wrong with having temporary wealth. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. But if you think that you are rich from that temporary wealth and you never become eternally wealthy, then you have been deceived. And your thinking is distorted. And temporary wealth has deceived many. It's that deception that distorts people's thinking and approach to life and living. Mark chapter 4, verse number 19 says, "...and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches..." And the lusts of other things choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. James chapter 2, verse number 5. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you and draw you before the judgment seats? Do not they blaspheme that worthy name by the which ye are called? Here was a group of people that James is admonishing, hey, don't let money deceive you. Don't let money trick you. Don't let money change the way that you behave. The rich man didn't live how he should have because he thought he was wealthy and didn't realize that he was poor, when in reality, he was poor and he should have tried to build true wealth. Those that think they are rich when they are in reality poor have a distorted vision. Just like the church in Laodicea. That's the church that we saw just a few moments ago. Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, 
that thou mayest see. Here was a church that was rich. They had a lot of money, but God says, you don't realize that you're poor. I counsel you. I'm, giving, I'm urging you. Come to me. Listen to me. Take my words and apply it to your life so that you might realize who you really are and where you really are and what's really in your life. When we realize that there are no wealthy people on earth, only wealthy people in heaven, it'll change our thinking. Did you know that? There's no such thing as a wealthy person on earth because all of your wealth here on earth doesn't last. All of your true wealth can only be had in reality, in fullness, in heaven. And we see how this temporary wealth of the Pharisees distorted them, distorted their thinking, distorted their actions. We see that it distorted the elements of their speech. It distorted how they talked, what they talked about. Verse number 14 says, And the Pharisees also who are covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. This word for derided is the same word that the Pharisees, uh, that is used of the Pharisees when Jesus was on the cross and they derided him. They mocked him saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he be Christ, the chosen of God. You see that? The Pharisees, imagine that. A man mocking God. And that's the kind of language that the Pharisees were using. You know why they used that kind of language? Because they were covetous because they were greedy, because they were materially rich, but spiritually poor. And that distorted their language. It distorted their living. Instead of honoring Jesus, they mocked him. They mocked him because of their greed, their covetousness, their love of money. And he compares, Jesus is comparing the, Phar comparing the Pharisees with this rich man. In verse number 24, it says, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. Did you notice that? When he got to hell and he realized that he was poor, totally different language, totally different attitude, totally different words. Instead of being proud and, and uh, living it up and, and showing off to his friends, now he's begging Abraham for mercy. Give me something. I need something. Give me just a little bit, anything. That was his language. His language totally changed when he got to hell and he realized, whoa, I'm not rich. I'm poor. I'm the poorest of all because I'm here in this place called hell. And it was his language that changed from when he thought he was wealthy to when he realized that he was poor. A good test for us, for what is in our hearts, is the words that come out of our mouths. Can I ask you this? talk about all day? Do you talk about sports? Do you talk about money? Talk about business? Talk about politics? Talk about what's on social media? Because if you've got a lot of money, you talk about it. You show it off. You go places. You do things. Do we talk about God? Do we talk about God's word? And remember, one of the categories or one of the ways that we know that we're wealthy is the word of God. You have the word of God. You have a home in heaven. You have riches there. It's a good test for us. Where do we place our heart? What do we think of as being our real riches? Is it here on earth or is it in heaven? 
we see that temporary wealth, it distorted what they talked about. And that speech then is a good indicator for us. Where are our treasures? Where do we put them? We also see that temporary wealth distorted their enthusiasm in service. In verse number 19, the Bible says there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Every day he lived in luxury. In verse number 20, the Bible says, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. See, this rich man had an opportunity to help this beggar. Not only that, it's not like he had to go very far to help him, right? The beggar was laid at the gates of the rich man. Every time he stepped out of his house, he would have seen him. Every time he left his house, he would have seen him. He would have noticed him. He would have seen his condition. He would have seen the disparity, an opportunity for him to help somebody else. And yet, he did nothing. That's one of the character traits of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, they did nothing. They didn't help the poor. They didn't help the widows. They didn't help anybody. Temporary wealth can cause people to treat others differently. Proverbs chapter 18, verse number 23. The poor useth entreaties, but the rich, they answer roughly. They can, they can say what they want. <laughs> they can say it how they want because they are wealthy. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy that they do good, that they be rich in good works and ready to distribute, willing to communicate. This, the rich man had so much, he had the clothes of royalty, meals of decadence, all while the beggar sat at his gate and every time he left his home, he would have seen him. And it's clear that the rich man did nothing. Here was a Jewish man not giving his brother some, something, anything. This brother who was right there. One thing that's interesting is you see that the early church was known to be generous. They were generous with their brothers and sisters in Christ. They loved them, they gave to them, and they served them. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 5, by love serve one another. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. As we have received, whatever it is that we have received, let us be a good steward and serve one another. Well, how can we serve one another? Well, there's a lot of practical things. If you take a look at 1 Peter chapter 4, it says that we could pray. But the end of all things is a hand, be therefore sober and watch unto prayer. We can serve by praying. We can serve by love and forgiveness. Verse number eight, and above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. How can we serve one another? We can love and forgive. Another way is be hospitable. Verse number nine, use hospitality one to another without grudging. One of the things that you know about the early church is that they were very hospitable. They even opened up their homes to other believers that got kicked out of their families and things like that. They opened up their home regularly and welcomed others into their home. They had church services even in their home. When you read about many of the letters, you'll see that he would write about individuals and write that the church that was in their home and, and things like that. They would have church meetings even in their own homes. 
We can encourage one another in the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Another way that we could serve is to seek others out. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, it says, But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently, and he found me. He found me. Another way that you could serve one another is to seek them out. Instead of wondering, hey, I wonder where brother so-and-so is. I wonder where sister so-and-so is. You could seek them out. You could go give them a text, give them a call, go visit, invite them out to grab some coffee or lunch. And of course, when it comes to serving with our riches, we could give financially to others, Philippians chapter 2. Yet I supposed it necessary to give to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow, serve, uh, fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. We see that the wealth of the Pharisees distorted their service, just like the rich man. They felt they didn't have to get involved in service because, hey, I'm rich. I'm rich. I don't need to do anything. Thirdly, we see how temporary wealth distorts people. It distorts their esteem of the scriptures. When you think that you are wealthy, it distorts how you view the scriptures. What's interesting to note at the end of the interaction between Abraham and the rich man, we read this a little bit earlier, how the rich man begged Abraham, give me a drink of water. I just want something, a drop of water even. At the very end is, a, is an interaction, and it's, it's a good lesson for us to see dealing with this rich man and his heart and his attitude. Because it would have been enough of a lesson for Jesus to simply say, the rich man died and he went to hell, but the beggar, he went to Abraham's bosom. That would be enough of a lesson, amen? Right? That's sufficient for us to know, right? And that's most of the time what people think of, what, what, what can we learn about this rich man who died and he went to hell? What we can learn is, don't die and go to hell. Trust in Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord for that. You can be saved. But Jesus continues. Oh, there's another lesson here to be learned. Well, what is this lesson? Well, he begs Abraham to send Lazarus to go to his brothers. He says, Abraham, please send Lazarus then to my five brothers so that they don't come to this place. Please. Verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the word of God. Let them hear them. They have the Bible. Let them read the Bible and trust the Bible. Verse number 30, nay, Father Abraham. No, he said, nay, Father Abraham. But if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, if they will not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rose from the dead. Isn't that interesting? Here is this rich man. He begs Abraham, please send Lazarus, this man that they would have recognized who died, send him back to my brothers so that he could tell them about hell so that they could be saved and not end up here. And Abraham says, no, they have the Bible. Let them read the Bible. And the rich man says, no, they're not going to listen to the Bible. They need something better. They need something more powerful, something more impactful. They need something miraculous to happen. Then they will listen. Do you see the attitude of the rich man? The attitude of the rich man was, my brothers aren't going to listen to the word of God. You know how I know they won't listen to the word of God? Because I didn't listen to the word of God. 
I didn't listen to the word of God. I knew what the Bible says. I know what Moses said. I know what God gave in his word. And I didn't listen to any of it. If I didn't listen to it, you know what I know about my brothers? They're not going to listen to it either. They're not going to read the Bible. They're not going to think about the Bible. They're not going to trust the Bible. Their distorted view of wealth distorted their vision of the word of God. The rich man didn't think that his brothers would listen to the word of God. Abraham says they have the Bible. They have the word of God. And the rich man said, they're not going to listen to the word of God. Send Lazarus, please. And Abraham says, no. I mean, not only can we not do that, but even if they did, even if we did send Lazarus, if they don't listen to the word of God, they won't be saved. The lesson for the Pharisees was that though they had wealth, they didn't listen to the word of God. In fact, it was because they had wealth that they felt like they didn't uh, need to listen to the word of God. We know the Ten Commandments, right? We know about the Ten Commandments. The last of the commandments is what? Thou shalt not covet. The Pharisees knew not to covet. They were not obeying the word of God. Jesus knew they weren't obeying the word of God. They served money. They didn't understand true wealth. And the rich man also didn't understand true wealth. When people put their trust in riches, they minimize the word of God. They don't see the need to read the Bible every day. Why? Because I'm rich. Why would I need the Bible? I'm rich. They don't see the importance of coming to church and hearing preaching. Why? Because I'm rich. What do I need preaching for? I'm rich. I have money. I can buy whatever I want. I can do whatever I want. They don't see the importance of reading the Bible. They don't see the importance of going to God and his word. They think it's more important to read articles about the stock market than it is to read the word of God. They think it's more important to read self-help books about how they can get farther in their career than to read the word of God. They think it's more important to read books about budgeting and, and uh, how, to, how to use leverage and how, how to make money in, in, in uh, you know, buying homes and flipping them or, or, or renting them or all sorts of different things. And there's nothing wrong with reading any of those books, okay? I'm all for budgeting. I'm all for saving. I'm all for investing and, and all of those sorts of things, using our money wisely. We're going to take a look at that. I'm not against any of those things. But the point is this. We need to begin with where is true wealth? And if true wealth is in heaven and not here on earth, we ought to spend time in the word of God, right? Wealthy people who are distorted by that wealth don't think it's important to read the Bible. That's why it's so important that you get into your Bible every single day. You need to get into your Bible every single day because it is the Bible that tells you how to be wealthy. Amen? All right, if we're thinking about, well, what is the, how, how am I going to get wealthy from the word of God if I have to give 10% to the offering plate every paycheck I get? How is that going to help me get wealthy? You've got it all wrong. You're totally misunderstanding what it means to be wealthy. It's not about money here on earth. In fact, if you're giving money into the offering plate helps you to align yourself with true wealth in heaven, that giving, not only is it in obedience to the word of God, will help your thinking to align towards, all right, what does make me wealthy then? Getting to heaven, having my sins to be forgiven, 
you know, first of all, that's the first step. And then after you get saved, then as you give into that offering plate, it can align yourself. All right, what is true wealth? All right, I need to serve God. I need to follow the word of God. The distortion of temporary wealth means that we disregard the word of God. We minimize the word of God. We don't think it's important in our lives. We don't pick it up on a daily basis. We don't listen to the preaching. We don't come to the church services. We have multiple church services here in a week. Why? Why do we have three church services in a week? Isn't one enough? You know what? We have multiple church services here. You know why? We want all of you to be wealthy. Really wealthy. Not just financially wealthy. Really wealthy truly wealthy in heaven. So we see the distortion of temporary wealth. Thirdly and lastly, we see the disaster, the disaster of being tricked by wealth. This is an area, wealth, that we must get right. We must take our definition of riches from God and apply it to our lives because if we do not, there are disastrous results. There are disastrous results if we do not apply the word of God in this area. Why? Because there are no redos in life. The rich man didn't get to die and go back and do it all over again. He had one chance to get it right. One chance. And this rich man got it wrong. He got it wrong and he didn't get a chance to make it right. Luke chapter 16 verse 25. But Abraham said, son, rich man, remember that thou in thy lifetime receiveth, receivest thy good things. He says, remember? Remember that life you lived? That was your chance. That was your chance. You had your opportunity. He had his chance on earth, but he got it wrong. And he didn't get a chance to do it again. He didn't get a chance to take it back and to start over again. And neither will you. You won't get a chance to do things over again. You have to get it right in the one chance that you get. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. That's why faith is so important. Because we have to trust what the Bible says about what happens after we die. You don't get to die and then find out and then start over again. You have your one chance now. And when you die, that's it. It's over with. No more opportunities. No more reset button. No more going back again. No save points in life. You are over. It's over. Your life is over. That's why being tricked by temporary wealth is so disastrous because it destroys your one chance you have in life. That's right. Wealth can be the worst thing that can happen to a person. Did you know that? Some people think, oh, if I could only be rich. For some people, not everybody, for some people, being rich is the worst thing that could happen to you. You know why? it could distort your thinking. It could make you think, you know what? I'm rich. I don't need the Bible. I don't need God. I don't need to do what he says. I'm rich. I have a house. I have a car. I have nice clothes. I go on nice vacations. I get to do whatever I want. I'm rich. I don't need to listen to God. What do I need to listen to God for? I'm rich. It's a disaster, though, if it ruins your one chance in life. 
Another disaster is the results are long-lasting. The results are long-lasting. If you read about or listen to people who talk about, you know, things like planning for your retirement, unless you're very wealthy, which some people are very wealthy, but most people are just concerned about having enough money to make it to when they die, right? Aren't, isn't that what most of us are thinking about, okay? If you're one of the people that's not thinking about that, oh, praise the Lord for you, <laughs> right? But most of us think about... I just, I need enough money to make it till I die, right? I, I, I'm worried about that. I'm worried that I won't have enough. I'm worried I'll get some health condition. I'm worried that my money saved up will, will, will not do as well. You know, all of these things. That's what we're worried about, right? And, and planning for retirement is important, you know, because you, you never know. And, and some might be planning to, to work until they're 65. And, and they might think, you know what? You know, the average lifespan here in America is about 80, right? Most, you know, on average, live to be about 80 years old. So if you retire, at 65, you've got 15 years where you've got to think about, all right, I'm now working, so I got, I, I got to have housing, I got to have food, I got to have medical expenses taken care of, I got to, I got to have these things, and, and if you've got kids and grandkids, of course, you want to spend some time with them, and you know, all of these sorts of things. That's, that's important, because here in America, we probably live, on average, you know, we'll, we'll live to be about 80. If you're married, though, and you retire at 65, I read the statistic and it kind of surprised me. There's a 25% chance, okay? If when you hit 65, if you're married, okay? There's two of you. If you hit 65, there's a 25% chance, a one in four chance that one of you will live to be 95, okay? That means there's a 25% chance that one of you will have 30 years of retirement left if you retire at 65. That's a long time, right? So you gotta think about these sorts of things. That's why I think it's important to plan, okay? I'm not against planning, not against saving, and not against any of these things, right? Because you've gotta think about these things, and, and I'm sure that you're thinking about these things. You might be thinking about, okay, there's Social Security here, maybe you got a pension, maybe you got a 401k, you got some other things, maybe you got an inheritance of a billion dollars that'll take care of you, and uh, for the rest of us though, we've gotta think about all of these savings and things like that, okay? All right, so we're thinking about that. I'm sure every one of you, if you're working, and especially if you're, you know, you know, past the age of, you know, 30, right? You're thinking about these things. You're thinking about, okay, retirement, savings, investing, all of these things. And you're planning about, okay, maybe I'd like to retire at 60. I'd like to retire at 65, 70, whatever, you know? Okay. And you're planning on your money lasting until you die, right? So that's, that's how you're planning. That's how you're thinking. I'm sure that most of you are thinking along those lines in some way. But what about what happens after you die? Have you planned for that? The moment you die, you leave your money behind. Have you set aside anything for your post-death retirement? Have you thought about that? Are you laying up anything for your retirement there? Or do you only have things for the life before you die? The end is not when you die, because death is not the end, death is the beginning. Did you realize that? Did you know that? Death is not the end. Death is just the beginning. Death is the beginning of what really matters in heaven. Death is the beginning of what you have built your whole life on. Everything you do in this life is really just leading up to what happens after 
you die. Did you realize that? We spend so much time thinking about this life, about your career, your money, your savings, your investment, your retirement. All of those things are things that happen on this earth. But what really matters is what happens after you die and you go to heaven. Luke chapter 16, verse number 24 says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. The rich man didn't simply vanish when he died. He went somewhere. The most important thing is that you trust in Christ. We know that the rich man was rich, but we don't know how much money he had. And in reality, it doesn't matter how much money he had. Does anybody here care whether he was a billionaire or not? Nobody cares. You know why? Because the only thing that we care about is that he died and he went to hell. That's the only thing that mattered, right? Is that the only thing that mattered? It didn't matter if he was friends with the king. It didn't matter if he had a picture of himself with Caesar on the wall of his living room and every guest that came by, wow, you met Caesar, look at that. Nobody cares about that. We don't care about that today. You know why? Because he died and he went to hell. That's the disaster of temporary wealth and he didn't get a chance to do it over again. The third disaster that comes from temporary wealth is that there are ramifications for others. Why can temporary wealth be so disastrous? Why can the results of our thinking on wealth be so terrible? Because how we live affects others. Luke chapter 16, verse number 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would ascend into my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come unto this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto them, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Now, we don't know exactly the relationship that this man had with his brothers. He had five brothers that lived in his father's house. Maybe he ate and drank and lived it up with them every single day. Maybe he ignored them and disregarded them because he said, you know what, I built this you know, wealth kingdom by myself. Why should I share it with you? We don't know the relationship. We, we, don't, we, we don't know, and it doesn't really matter. But after he died, the only thing that he cared about with, his, with regard to his brothers was whether or not he could stop them from going to hell. After he died, he realized living it up didn't matter. And because I didn't listen to the word of God when I had the chance, I didn't tell them to listen to the word of God when I had the chance. His relationship with those individuals was not where it should have been because he thought he was rich. He didn't think he needed to listen to the word of God and he didn't think it necessary to persuade his brothers to also listen to the word of God. You know what? If you've got a lot of money, good for you, right? There's nothing wrong with having a lot of money. I want to make that very clear as we talk about finances over the next couple of weeks. There's nothing wrong with having money. 
But if you think that you are wealthy simply by having money, then you've got it wrong. You're not thinking about this right. You're, you're not approaching wealth the way that God wants you to, and it's going to affect the way that you, uh, the relationship that you have with others, right? Instead of serving others the way that we ought to, we think about how can I make a little bit more money? Look at me, I got so much money. I can go and do these things. I can go buy these things. I can go whatever, do all of these things. Instead of thinking about, well, what would make me really rich? What would make me really rich is obeying the word of God. What would make me really rich is laying, for, laying up for myself treasures in heaven. How could I do that? You know what? If I, if I don't get this promotion because I'm actively serving my brothers and sisters in Christ, so be it. Because that's not true wealth anyway. Now, I do need money to survive. I do need money to buy things. And God, you know, works in all of those ways. And we'll talk about those details. But we've got to get this foundation right if we are going to handle finances properly. So, once again, just to review, what is the definition of true wealth? Well, the Bible says true wealth is salvation from hell, it is secure in heaven, and it is the scriptures in our hands. If we have a lot of money or desire a lot of money, it can distort our living. It can distort how we speak, it can distort how we serve, and it can distort how we view the word of God. And there's a lot of disasters that come from being deceived by wealth. You don't get to go and do it again. You get one chance today. The results of your decisions today are long-lasting, and they affect others as well. So let's follow the Word of God about what being wealthy really means.